Hello and welcome to the Room of Lives. I am your host, Neil. In this concluding part of my conversation with Pace, we talk about our experiences of various strategies to battle depression and anxiety, such as talk therapy, cognitive behavior therapy, medicines, psychedelics, and meditation. Pace proposes that we can stop thinking of any of these remedies as silver bullets and consider a combination of the different strategies. I talk about why, when it came to anxiety and depression, it was helpful for me to stop looking for answers in my thoughts. We finally conclude with his aspirations for the future. If you enjoy listening to this conversation, consider supporting me by donating dye or ether to abhranil.eth. That's A-B-H-R-A-N-I-L dot E-T-H. So you also want to talk about... Uh, depression anxiety and treatments yeah. for depression and anxiety uh yeah i mean going i guess health and wellness like we talked about is probably a good overlap mm-hmm. um yeah i uh, i have suffered from depression since i was probably at least nine mm-hmm. um, and so um uh i started receiving treatment at mm, maybe 15 no maybe 13 or 14 for the first time in the form of therapy. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of went off and on to therapy um, for, for since then, you know, for mm-hmm. take a year or two off and then take mm-hmm. and go for about a year and then stop again. By the way, I have, I mean, I have only done one uh, counseling session ever in my life. So I don't really know what therapy consists of. Yeah. So what when you say therapy at the age of 15 or so, what, what actually goes on in those sessions? So therapy begins like a huge gamut of exercises and types of therapy. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of therapy is, I think it's called, I think the term for the, for the like talk, there's talk therapy and mm-hmm. then there's just psychodynamic therapy, which is another term, which is basically you just go and talk about your feelings and they ask questions and you kind of work through experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, a therapy session for most of my life was just going in and sitting down and going, I feel really bad about this thing that happened this week and then saying, oh, talk a little more about it and then, mm-hmm. then kind of talking through it with me, right? I mean, in an aspect of it could be saying, I don't think that's true, or like, think about that a little more, or suss that out. Um, and I find that, I mean, an interesting thing that I experience with that is like, I've always been able to, I mean, pretty much always been able to talk about my feelings. It doesn't mean I've been able to feel my feelings, or to like, do anything with my feelings. Mm-hmm. And so I think for some people, maybe that's a important part, is to actually learn how to talk about how they feel. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas that was never really a struggle that I had, which is to talk about um, feelings, or, 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 or to talk about um, events, right, mm. um, openly. Mm. Um, so for me, I don't think any of that worked that well. I don't think it had a particularly profound effect. Mm. Um, the type that I have done some of now is cognitive behavioral therapy, mm. which is like um, basically you challenge your beliefs. And this idea is that we walk around with what are called cognitive distortions. And I talked about this a bit in my talk, but this idea that you walk around and like someone doesn't answer your phone call and you say, oh, they hate me. I knew they didn't like me. They're not my friend. They don't ever want to be my friend. Mm. Um, and that's what you base the, your feeling of self-worth on. Whereas like 
there might be a mountain of evidence that suggests that you have a hundred friends that care about mm-hmm. you, right? And so this idea that you walk around with this uh, distortion, and so kind of using exercises and channeling, like getting in touch with your feelings and then solving those distortions. Um, there's a, there's there's you know dozens of more types of therapy, and I've only mm-hmm. done a, a little bit um, of the other types, um, but I'm kind of constantly exploring little bits of other types. I'm trying to begin to. Um, Is there a way to challenge? Uh, these what you're calling cognitive distortions without a therapist or an external person <clears throat> pointing them out to you like is it possible to do it autonomously yeah like, and identify oh that's that's a distortion so they make books like workbooks they're mm-hmm. like books authors are written books who are therapists um they make workbooks on these distortions and you can buy them um and you can do the exercises yourself mm-hmm. i guess the argument might be it's good depending on your depending on your kind of emotional maturity, depending on your ability to deal with your feelings or to talk or to even be honest with yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that a therapist is good. No matter, no matter what therapy you're doing, a therapist is a, is a way they can reflect them. They can try to help reflect an accurate version of you back at yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you have really distorted thoughts, you might not even see them as distorted. Mm-hmm. Right. Like it's people who, who, well, again, we talk about evil, right. People who are like, um, you know, people who are in relationships that are abusive. Right. But let's say like, their parents' relation was worse. Mm. Like they watched their father punch their brother in the face every day, and then now with someone who just tells them they're stupid. Mm. Like he's never laid a hand on them, right? Mm. So like it's interesting because that's a distortion, right? But that person may, might relatively mm. never be able to see a distortion, mm-hmm. right? Mm. Uh, not necessarily a, a CBT cognitive distortion, but like that's a distortion of reality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I think in that way, uh, a therapist can be really useful at helping you navigate mm. your distortions. And that's something that I found is that I have a lot of distorted views of things that have happened in my life and i kind of told myself they were fine or told myself they were like ha 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 whatever mm-hmm. and i and i'm like realizing oh no they were really that was really wrong mm-hmm. and there's something to be said about like there's two aspects like one it's like good to process and two it's also probably sometimes not the best thing to think about how bad something was for you because you can then just sit and ruminate mm-hmm. on this awful mm-hmm. past event you know um but yeah, you need to get a workbook and go through them and do mm-hmm. them and try to do them. And I think that many people could probably benefit tremendously from doing it alone without ever talking to a therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and then many people probably could use the help of therapists. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, but then there's so there's that and there's like pharmacological intervention, which I started doing uh, almost a year ago, um, and that's been interesting to me because I think that sometimes I'm not aware of any benefit. Uh, at this point i don't have any doubt first i should say that there aren't any side effects that bother me so i'm also not wary of them at this point um side effects do affect people but i don't have any uh, and so i've never stopped but then there's some days where i'm not actually sure that they do anything um, and then that also may be that, like that's one of the things is like it's like if something works you don't necessarily know that it works you just you just but you know uh, many people get on medicine and they feel better and, they, and then they say to themselves like oh, well, it's not this medicine, I just feel better, right? And they get off it and they feel bad. Yeah, yeah. So I think I, I should say that is that some days I'm... I'm some it's, days... Kind of, it's kind of true to some extent for meditation also, I've heard, that to the extent that meditation can help people feel better, uh, they do it for a while and then they're like, well, I think my life is just kind of better now. So you stop meditating. I don't want to go through this whole process of meditation. There's resistance. Like, you don't want to sit down and do this. And then uh, a lot of the times, invariably, the problems come back. And, yeah. Yeah, it's... Yeah, anyway, sorry. No, but I, I mean, I agree. It's like interesting yeah. how, you know, it's like we talked about vaccines earlier too, right? Like mm. People think vaccines don't work and mm. that they hurt people mm. because most people alive now 
who are younger have never seen anyone die of polio. Mm. And so I think it's like one of those things we get into like the yeah, worst yeah, enemy yeah. of successful treatment can be the treatment itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in the psyche of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I so and so I I would say like I I experienced a, a benefit when I started the medicines, mm. and sometimes I doubt that they're still working, mm. which can happen. And medicines can stop working. But I try not to like stress about it. I try just to wait until I see my psychiatrist and say, I don't know if this is working anymore. Yeah, yeah. And then follow their advice. Mm. And something important to say about that is that I also trust my psychiatrist. Mm. I found someone that I like. Mm. feel like I can have an honest, a frank discussion about what's going on in my head with. Mm. And they aren't going to ever like leverage it to get what they want. Mm. Because it seems like what she wants is effective treatment for me. Mm. You know? Um, which is ideal. And mm. so I feel like it's more, it's a good partnership in that way. Mm. So I can go in and I can be like, I just have no idea if this is working anymore. Mm. Or I don't know if it's working. And, sh- and we'll, it'll be a discussion that won't be like, the decision won't be made from the moment I get in the room. Mm. Um, and so maybe that's something to talk about with therapy and psychiatry is, I mean, everyone's experiences will be quite different. But, mm. but I think one of the things, especially for people suffering anxiety and depression, is like you're already in a kind of a, down, kind of a downtrodden place, right? And if you then add the fact that we're all raised to respect authority mm. and that, and that we, you know, when you go to the mechanic, you're afraid he might screw you, but you also know that he knows more about cars than you. So when he tells you your such and such is out, your radiator broke, mm. like if you don't know about cars, you trust them yeah. because they have authority. Mm-hmm. So if you add that into being already like anxious or depressed, you send someone into an office with a therapist or a psychiatrist and you're sitting in front of an authority figure. And so, um, you're going to follow their lead. You're going to do what they say, usually, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think um, it's hard because, um, you know, now that I've been around therapy for so long and a little bit of psychiatry, I'm more of the idea that, like, if you sit down, it doesn't matter if they're good because that's, like, a whole other discussion, but if you don't feel like they have your best interest at heart or you don't trust them, mm-hmm. right, like, then you should get up and leave. Mm-hmm. Um, and that advice might be dangerous for people that don't trust anybody, right? Because then they'll never sit down and actually do anything. But, but I think for an average person who also finds themselves to be trusting in certain circumstances, then if you don't feel that way about them, then you should just go find somebody else because this person's probably not going to be the best help for you. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I've, you know, the longer I've been dealing with it, you know, it's, it, it definitely comes up with this idea that, um, we really do want quick fixes in this world, right? And I think that's like even meditation people talk about, you know, and I think meditation can have great benefits. When I did the Vipassana retreat, the 10-day sound meditation, like, I felt great for a couple of weeks after. I felt so at peace. Mm. Um, How did you feel, by the way, at the retreat? During those 10 days? Were you feeling great? You know, no. It was one of the weird things where I remember... Um, kind of having good and bad days i remember having days and i don't remember ever being like i don't remember ever being like freaking out internally or having a crisis like mm-hmm. oh the demons are around you know mm-hmm. what i remember is like some days it was frustrating to meditate all day mm-hmm. and there were days where i felt like oh i've reached some kind of peace and then the next day i'd be like oh this is really frustrating yeah um and i think the hardest days were the last two days for me because i think on the you know, there's the fifth day or whatever where you begin, the, the end of the fourth day where you begin actually doing the Vipassana style meditation. Mm-hmm. And I felt like day five was just rocket into space. Day six, incredible. Yeah. Like day seven or whatever was like yeah. even good. Yeah. And then day eight and nine, I just felt like I hit a brick wall where like mm-hmm. I wasn't going deeper. I felt like I was actually losing some touch. Mm-hmm. And it was this interesting thing where I think we, you know, part of it is like we want everything to be linear. So we want every day we meditate to be better than the last day mm-hmm. we meditated, which is not the purpose of meditation. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, and I found that you know we all have we, you know we joked after it ended right like what what was the thing that was hard for you was it like not smoking was it like whatever yeah. you know, he talks about like cravings and aversions right yeah. the um, Goenka right mm. and I just had this like incredible period of just like like basically like sexual desire that was just like plaguing me like you're not supposed to obviously masturbate right yeah so the last like four days were that, just torture i never did it i, never did it. <laughs> I, I followed me. the rules I, fo- <laughs> I followed his rules and it was like all i could think about it was like it was literally the only thing i could think about yeah. but like the days leading up to it and so i felt like one you know this isn't linear i don't two. think i read that part too carefully like, I, don't know. <laughs> I think i think most people broke that rule but i was like all right i promised i'd do it and i'm gonna yeah. the last three days like this torture was like all i want to do is like go sleep with something you know, it was like kind of what i you know so it was just like this thing that was kind of minor became a fixation because mm-hmm. it couldn't be like um because it wasn't supposed to be done, you know, it was like, yeah. because and it was, I wasn't trying to avoid any like issues in my life or anything mm-hmm. I'd done wrong. None of that was bothering me. It was just like this <laughs> craving, right? And so I remember like, you know, like, <laughs> you know, it wasn't even directed at anyone, anyone there. It was just like this kind of mental plaguing idea of like, yeah. oh my God. Yeah. Um, and so I'm sure if I'd stayed for like months longer, it would have passed, right? Mm-hmm. But like it interfered with my meditation the last uh, several days. And so I just like, when I left, I wasn't frustrated. I left, I felt good, but I was also just like, yeah. I could have left it day eight or day like day seven and been just as good, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would have had two more days of not dealing with this. Um, yeah, yeah. So that was interesting. I mean, it was a very it was an experience, and I'm really glad I went. I mean, I, I hope to go again. I hope to volunteer at some point and work mm-hmm. because it was such a cool experience, and yeah. it was so nice to 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 just check out like that and and work on something totally separate for mm-hmm. ten days. I think than we ever really work on. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I uh, no, I really um, I really admired uh. Uh, aspects of it and I admired the environment that it created um, and the closeness that was kind of created by putting everyone in that situation together mm-hmm. um, and I think like that's one thing I, I think that I'm like, realizing is that like I with therapy with psychiatry right is that you know I you know I've been exercising and eating pretty well for you know 13 years now right and I think that um, you know I think that there's there's this aspect we struggle with in society right is that I mean we are a very moral you know, society, and I think the United States is, you know, has quite a puritanical background, right? So there's this idea that if anything's wrong with you, it's like a result of your lack of work ethic, right? It's mm-hmm. a result of your lack of trying, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that th- there are moments in which that's true. Like if you eat, if you eat crap all day and you drink coffee till you go to bed and you watch TV till the moment you try to go to bed every day, you probably aren't going to sleep very well and you're probably going to feel bad, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a personal responsibility aspect of it. And then there's also like the genetic predisposition, epigenetic changes, childhood experiences that also trigger these things. And so like finding that interesting balance mm-hmm. where like, um, you know, I can be really hard on myself some days and like if I had a perfect morning routine, I'd never feel bad. Yeah. Um, and that's probably not true. Mm-hmm. Right? I would probably feel bad regardless mm-hmm. of what I do. I mean, I already exercise all the time. Like I already, uh, I don't drink, I don't get drunk every night and I don't smoke anymore. I quit doing all these things that are harmful for me. Um, but I also think there is value in having like, like we, you know, I've seen you talk about it, like having a mindfulness routine, like waking up earlier and spending twenty minutes meditating every day, is not going to harm you. Mm. It probably will only benefit you. And if you actually stick with it and do it for like a lifetime, the mm. benefits will probably be miraculous, really. Yeah. But you actually have to do it every day. Doing it for ten minutes every day is probably better than doing it one hour once a week. Mm. Is it like these things that we can do to help ourselves? And I and I think therapy and psychiatry can be extensions of these. I think that the way I hear them talked about so often is like. Is like I don't want to take pills. I'm going to do other things, or like, or like, I found this thing that I do. I don't have to take medicine, is right. Mm. But I think like a much more honest way, at least from what I've seen to talk about them, would be like all of these things in conjunction with each other can be effective therapies. So like, you don't have to, you don't have to believe that one's evil and one's good. Mm. You could actually say like, 
Um, well, if we look at this holistically, and I think that there's this idea that because it's medicine, it can't be holistic, or it can't be like holistically viewed, right? Obviously, it is medicine, right? So it's not meditation. Mm. But like, if med- meditation is effective medicine, and then Prozac is effective medicine, mm. and if you combined those in a person and you got the result you wanted, there would be no, it wouldn't be soiled. The mm. results would not be like soiled because you used mm. Prozac in addition to meditation. Mm. And so I think that there's a lot of when I think about like uh, depression, anxiety, and treating it and mindful and like and like looking at a better long term result for people, is I think that um, it's really important for people who have been treated effectively for their for their depression, whether that be my meditation or mm-hmm. medicine or both, mm-hmm. to be able to have conversations in which we don't turn towards kind of gurus that promise us a perfect life mm-hmm. with only one fix yeah. it. Yeah. And instead we look at people and say like, so going as meditation could have this incredibly positive impact on your life and you could still want need an antidepressant or an antipsychotic. Mm-hmm. But like, what if those two things combined made you led you to the life you actually wanted, which is one in which you're like, have family and friends and you're excited. Mm-hmm. Cause I think that's been a big um, interest of mine talking about it with people sharing my experiences hearing theirs is to try to basically chip away at this idea that there's like the pure way to go about it and there's the cheating quitting kind of weak weak way to go about it because i think that we can i think that the more options there are the more options people know about the more people the more people are encouraged to explore mm-hmm. is like that's just more people that find the concoction mm-hmm. that works for them yeah, yeah. um like we've talked, we've talked about psychedelics and i have found that large dosing of psychedelics has this kind of interesting effect for like weeks after on me. Mm. But I have never once microdosed and felt particularly better after. Mm. I've like now I've tried it with different substances. I've tried it probably 20 times now. Mm. And I never once have microdosed and felt better. Like, mm. I mean, other than if I've dosed a little too high and I actually got into a borderline trip. Yeah. But if I dose at the doses, everyone that's actually t- what happened to me, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought it was the microdosing yeah. that was helping me. But then, uh, because the thing wasn't exactly calibrated and like it, this is exactly the amount you take yeah. the way that i decided to calibrate that for myself was i'm gonna do essentially a threshold dose i'm gonna like go up or down until i realize okay i'm still kind of same but it's just like slightly i can tell the effects yeah and uh the effects are positive and so i'm just like hey ooh, microdose is working yeah and uh and then i read a little bit more i'm like oh this is not actually a microdose that's a threshold <laughs> yeah. being able to focus at work yeah it's like, it's like a little too much energy and stuff but I did feel good. Did yeah. feel good. Um, and then at some point I actually stopped microdosing. And it's because, I don't know if I told you about this, I went to India. I came back to India uh-huh. already realizing that I'm entering kind of like a dark mental phase. I yeah. don't know why or whatever. And I didn't spend too much time trying to figure out intellectually. Mm-hmm. The only two things that I remember noticing is, okay, what are the two, what are the things that I did differently when yeah. I was in India? Two things. I didn't meditate at all. Mm-hmm. And I didn't microdose. Wow. And so I started meditating again, and it still didn't help for a while. So for a long time, this kind of sense of security that I had built around myself that, okay, I've cracked it. Yeah. Prior to microdosing, I'm like, I've cracked it. I found this thing. It's yeah. meditation, and now I'm secure for life. I've just, some kind of miracle has happened, and I'm never going to feel bad again. Yeah. And that, that security was suddenly disintegrating yeah in a way that i had never imagined possible yeah and i was kind of struggling to like remain equanimous through that i was like the worst thing that i can do now is freak out about the fact that that the security is going because it's just going to make things worse yeah but i also started thinking okay so the 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 meditation thing could be an answer but the other thing is that i haven't read too many studies about what happens when you stop microdosing yeah i mean 
microdosing studies themselves are not like you know very well fleshed out yeah and the little studies that i do find are from groups that are a little bit evangelical about the use of psychedelics uh-huh. um you know because they're microdosing and yeah and so uh i was like all right i'm going to just continue doing the thing that i feel more sure about which uh-huh. is meditation and i'm going to stop this microdosing business because i don't want to get dependent on having to microdose yeah. i have heard no person or internet source guarantee that you do this for a while and then you stop doing and the effects will persist forever yeah i hadn't read anything like that so i actually stopped doing that mm-hmm. but i do i did like the way that it made me feel yeah and so i was like i'm going to reserve these for recreational trips yeah or i'm just going to do like large doses and i'm going to feel pretty Cool. Afterwards, I actually really do like the kind of person that I feel like when I'm on the four ways of DMT. Yeah. And so I'm like, I'm just gonna like do it, and that's that's what I've been doing. So I, that's yeah. 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 I I find that to be yeah. I find that like I find larger doses to be like where I get the value. Um, yeah. It's also hard, right? Because like we're not always great judges of our experiences, right? Because like, like you could also have something else happening mm-hmm. days you microdose or whatever. Like yeah. it's really hard, right? Yeah. Like, but like you say, like struggling against yeah. the struggling and saying, "Oh God, it's all gone. Yeah, I yeah. had the security, now I don't." Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's been a really difficult thing for me for treatment. Is like it hasn't been linear. Mm. Um, things are better, and then a lot of days I'm like, things suck, and I think like yeah. it's not nothing's been successful. It's yeah. a total failure. Yeah. And my own anxiety about that mm. is often probably worse than yeah, the reality. Yeah, yeah. Saying like, "Oh, I had a good week last week. Yeah. This week sucks." Yeah, it's all this stuff. There's this like the base layer of evidence that yeah. tells you, okay, I'm not feeling very good. But then there's so many layers that immediately start piling on top of that, which is this story of failure and like, oh, gloom and doom. That can become, I mean, that by itself, uh, it's it's very hard to appreciate how much soul-crushing power that whole narrative can have. Yeah. And you think about, well, where, where does all of this trace back to? What is the raw evidence? If there was a different story surrounding and explaining and justifying that raw evidence like if someone told you you take this and you're going to feel bad for a little bit but that just means it's working and you're going to bounce back my life would be so much better yeah, I think. Oh, okay. like, you know i mean the same raw sensory stimulus can be reinterpreted in so many different ways and that we go around thinking that our entire lives and how we feel are about the things that are actually happening and the things that we're feeling but so much of it is actually uh, a response to our internal ideas of where all of this is going. Yeah. And it's very hard to disentangle anxiety surrounding the story mm-hmm. from the raw anxiety surrounding the, 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 from the raw feeling, I wouldn't call that anxiety. Anxiety is necessarily about a story, but the raw feeling bad. Yeah. And it's, it's just, it's very hard to disentangle the two. Yeah. Yeah. So the one thing that I, um, wanted to mention when you told me about what regular talk therapy is and what uh, cognitive behavior therapy is is that when like in in my younger days i used to be a far more anxious person and kind of like i would go through you know phases of depression Uh and the only thing that i would do during those times for lack of knowing anything else is i would just constantly think about just constantly think 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 about stuff think about what is happening blah blah not necessarily always think about solutions, but like write about why I was feeling bad and just it was a constant like intellectual level stuff going yeah. on. In general, universally, I, I used to kind of live mostly in the intellectual plane and used to ascribe everything that was happening, all the causes and all the effects were in the world of thoughts. Yeah. In the last several years, it, my world has changed quite a bit. And yeah. I think the my intellectual side has been humbled by experiences in a sort of way that 
my my initial my 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 earlier self would have thought of these things as being threatening yeah. or challenging to my intellectual identity but mm-hmm. funnily it's been a kind of liberation of source where i think i've discovered that so hello oh hey yeah let me get Sorry. Um, so yeah, I'm saying that in in the last few years, um, I've noticed that not so much the effects, but a lot of the causes, the root causes of why I'm feeling bad, uh-huh. has nothing to do with my thoughts, yeah, or actions, or combinations of thoughts and actions on the world, and the world feeds me back, and then I'm thinking yeah. about it. A lot of the times you just feel bad yeah. for no reason. And then it's easier to see, actually. It's yeah. actually easier to see when life is going pretty well. Like, for example, this time when I came back from India, yeah. there is no discernible cause that I could find in the environment that I was feeling bad. Yeah. And yet every day I started feeling worse and worse and worse. Yeah. And soon enough, all the, like, the negative thoughts kicked in. And yeah. then you get ensnared by this jungle of thoughts and you can no longer tell why you're feeling bad yeah. because of the it's because of the thoughts in your head or the way that they made you act in a certain way and then yeah. this other person this real negative thing actually happened blah blah but in the initial days i could tell that the i could find no reason either in my thought world mm-hmm. or in the external world that i'm feeling bad yeah and i don't think as humans especially as people especially humans who are kind of intellectually minded i don't think we are trained to ever acknowledge that there can be a a, a bad feeling without any big yeah cause yeah and i think that's actually pretty harmful because you start looking for it you'll find it especially if you're feeling bad you can look anywhere and you'll start finding so-called reasons that you that you're feeling bad yeah um so having had this sort of an experience multiple times in the past um especially aided by the kind of clarity that meditation sometimes brings you know because these thoughts come and if you just kind of wait and not act on them they, they they pass away and you can be left with the sort of raw feeling bad situation like oh wait so this whole series of thoughts have popped up in my head and then receded and none of them are permanent and yet this feeling bad is still perm- it's it's it seems to outlive all of these individual thoughts yeah and so in many ways i've started to i don't know what to believe but it seems like a lot of the times the thoughts and the distortions and all my actions and the way that I speak and the way the world uh, responds bad happens downstream yeah. of the feeling bad. and the fe- So how do I identify in the first moment that I'm feeling bad? It's almost always bad feeling in the body. Yeah. And we're not really trained to identify it as such. Mm-hmm. The, it, the, the thought pattern starts so quickly yeah. that you get like immediately lost in the stream of thoughts that I don't think we are trained in general to notice in that little space where no thought has arisen. This is purely, I'm feeling bad. How do I know that I'm feeling bad? Oh, it feels kind of bad in the body, although I can't name it. Like, is it somewhere in the chest, blah, blah. No need to name it. It feels kind of bad in the body. Mm -hmm. And invariably, when it starts feeling bad in the body, thoughts, negative thoughts are going to come up. Yeah. So my kind of slightly incredulous response was 
the traditional talk therapy or the cognitive behavior therapy, it tries to attack the, you know, the, the sort of, yeah, well, what are you thinking? What happened? Blah, blah, these distortions. Don't you sometimes feel that that might be putting the cart before the horse that, you know, these things are arising in your life or these cognitive distortions yeah. because of some just back in the body and then it is, is, yeah. is repurposing all the stuff that you're doing in your life. And, so that's a good question. I mean, I think I hear what you're saying and I, I think like we, we can look at the research on the brain and feelings come before yeah. like thoughts are often automatic reactions. you're saying they're automatic reactions right mm. to stimulus right yeah um to a stimulus um so the thing about cognitive therapy is it does talk about your feelings mm. you actually so so you so you'll say um well let's, i'll give you an example like i'm sitting around and i'm like casually dating someone or i'm beginning to date someone and i text them and they don't text me back mm. right and maybe it's only been an hour right mm. it hasn't been 24 hours or maybe it, maybe it's not that i'm never texting you back but it's been an hour and then i start feeling bad mm -hmm. right and then all these thoughts rush into my head mm -hmm. and they're like oh my god i'm gonna be alone no one wants to date me i'm gonna mm -hmm. spend my life alone i'm gonna die alone or or, or like i'm not good enough i knew i wasn't attractive mm -hmm. right there's feelings associated with that so one of the aspects of that therapy is you actually then write about your feelings mm -hmm. and you and you rank them mm -hmm. so you rank like um you know obviously this isn't saying you know, there are actually aspects where you say, where are you feeling this, right? Mm -hmm. You could say, is it in the stomach, is it in the head, right? Mm -hmm. But there'd be another part that's like, what's the feeling? And say the hopelessness mm -hmm. or anger, sadness. Mm -hmm. And then you'd rank that. So you'd say like 70% sadness, mm -hmm. despair, right? And you would rank these. And then you would go through these thought exercises. And then you would reanalyze your feelings after it mm -hmm. to see if these exercises had any reducing aspect on your feeling. Mm -hmm. And the next time you were in a similar situation, the same feelings would come up around uh, an experience, right? Mm -hmm. And then you would basically re-examine that experience again and see, is this now at a lower threshold? Are you feeling at 60% when you used to feel 70? Mm -hmm. So I, I don't think it's exactly what you're talking about. Like, I think yeah. what you're saying is a bit more true in the body. Yeah, yeah. But this there is does... no analysis yeah. in what I'm talking about. Yeah. It's just the kind of just the pure watchfulness, mm -hmm. which is like you don't have to really rank or think about you what you have it. to do is forget about all of this stuff on top of the feelings. Just pay attention to the feelings. Don't even wish for them to go away. I think that's... Just no, pay attention. And I think that that's a really valuable thing. I definitely have mm -hmm. benefited from doing that. Just to say mm -hmm. like... Oh, I feel angry. Mm. I'm just gonna sit with this mm. and not try to do anything about it, and not try to solve it, not get angry about mm. it or upset. Um, and I think I think that they probably both have a place. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because because you know you could so you could be feeling bad and mm. you could say like oh man I feel bad for a week something must be wrong mm. and that like that could be considered a cognitive distortion but it may not actually be a distortion the same thing where you said oh, I feel bad I'm never gonna feel better again is different than mm. I felt bad for a week something must be wrong. Mm. And I think that they both have their place. Like one may actually help you solve that like future telling aspect, mm. which is like one aspect of depression, right? Is that people go, oh my God, it's never going to change. Mm. And that's where I think cognitive behavioral therapy seems to have a really good. Yeah. yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And also one part about cognitive behavioral therapy that I've never had to do that a lot of people do do is they actually make lists and they go and they do things. Mm. I've always been a very productive, like my worst depression is like the day where I only go to the gym in my job yeah right like so like <laughs> for, yeah but for many people that's yeah. almost impossible right yeah. for many depressed people like they can't get out of bed mm. they have trouble eating showering right mm. they have trouble and so cognitive behavioral therapy also seeks to get you to do things because they just find that when people do things they feel better yeah, yeah. um for me personally that was never part of the experience so i would yeah. say like i've missed out on a large section of that because mm. it's i've never had to do a list i've never had to make a to-do list of like um mm. of like getting out of bed washing my laundry like it, it, i have to do those lists on most days yeah when i'm not feeling depressed at all yeah 
And when I was feeling depressed, particularly when I was in undergrad, I was I had such a hard time getting out of bed. I was just spending most of the day in bed. It was just this great mm-hmm. like weight that settled on me. And it's just like I can't. This is just um just an ocean of existential. Yeah, I have to push through in order to like yeah. do anything, and that's and I think that's depression for many people. Yeah, I mean personally, I think my experience is I learned to cope by doing things, mm. and so everyone else was falling apart, and like I had to be the one that always got up. I had to be the one that kind of always got through it, always went to school, yeah. always succeeded at those things, regardless of what was going on around me. Mm. So my coping was like what I noticed when I'm withdrawing is I'm withdrawing from social interactions. Like this mm. podcast, like all mm. week I was like, I don't want to do this damn podcast. I'm thinking of myself all week. Like, I, don't I don't know have the energy. Actually, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't have the energy. This podcast this week sucks. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to do this. Right. Yeah. And so it's, it's actually for me, the list that gets you to go to class is yeah. the list that gets me to engage with a person. Mm. Whereas like the, the like gym, I went to the gym four times a week. I had no problem doing it. Mm. Um, but so it was it's kind of like, in some ways it's opposite for me. Yeah. Like when I'm getting into one of my slumps, the one of the things that can get me out of that is social interaction yeah like i'll immediately try and like talk to someone before it gets too bad mm-hmm. like yeah the beginning and then i can get some energy but then if you ask me to do like work or like go out and work out and stuff i'm like oh fuck i can't yeah yeah, yeah. i think for me it's like i social interactions definitely help but they're the hardest thing for me to muster the energy to do mm. um whereas like it's easy for me to go be isolated in the gym and just work out yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the, it's the, like, it has the least value. Like, yeah. The gym isn't the thing that makes me feel great. Yeah. It probably helps a little bit. Yeah. But it's, like, the social interaction. It's the talking around the brunch table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, like, today, even, like, I woke up, and I wasn't in a bad mood, but, the like, the energy it took to muster to have a conversation at the table with, like, four people mm-hmm. was, like, a tremendous amount of energy. Mm-hmm. And then it ended up giving me more energy. Yeah. But it still was, like, an investment. I was, like, yeah. oh, I really have to make sure to put in here. Yeah. So I think that, you know, that's like, um, you know, everyone's, and that's like everyone's way to deal with like mm-hmm. depressions, isolation, sadness is quite different. Yeah. Um, but I think that, you know, um, you know, and, and I think what's so interesting is my treatment's been so rocky. And so I feel kind of funny talking about it because it's not like I can say like, I don't have the story that's like, I did this and I did this and my life's great. Mm-hmm. I think I have a story that's like, things seem to be improving and generally on the up and, mm-hmm. and like about half the days I have hope mm. that I will get to do some of the other things I want in life, mm. which is really, I think what it's about, like, what do you want out of your life? And I guess not like on your worst day, what do you want? But like, mm. if you could write an ideal life, right? Like, yeah. And so like the thing that I'm least inclined to do if I allow myself to just live in like my miasma of depression mm. is at least the thing I'm least inclined to do is to have a really long-term relationship and to like have a family and have a kids and like mm. have a career, right? Mm. So it's like, but on my best moments, I'm like, I think it'd be really nice to have, yeah. to enjoy those things. Yeah. And so I think for me, really therapy. And but if you could turn it off anytime you wanted, that would be awesome. Yeah, right. And you go have a blast doing something else, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But like psychiatry, mindfulness, meditation, therapy, it's all really been, I think, really for this goal of like, what do I actually want out of this? Right? Obviously, I would like to have no depression and anxiety. Yeah. But that's more of like a wish to just like, that's a, that's a nebulous change, mm-hmm. right? But instead, what if, it's like, what if it's like, I, despite these epigenetic switches, and these experiences and genetic predispositions, right? Despite all of this in mm-hmm. life experiences, what if I could then craft a life out of, with these techniques mm-hmm. that would allow me to do these things like I think are really admirable and Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what is it that you can kind of picture yourself wanting in life? I think like for what I would like to do in life is I would like, I think ideally I would like to, to, to create some, um, I would like to like, I'd like to have a family. I would like to, I would like to like meet a partner and get married. Um, mm. And I would like to like, I would like to live a somewhat alternative life. I mean, in the sense of I would like to live in a community. Mm. Um, 
And I think I would like, ideally, one of the hardest things for me, I think, you know, and, and, and doing the, the talks is, is, you know, an interesting step, would be to actually talk and share some of my experiences. Mm. Um, I think I've had this doubt my entire life that my experiences were worth sharing. Mm. And then I think as I as I get some, as, as I begin to, like, chip away at this, this kind of um, total lack of self-esteem that kind of seems to be a result of my... So it's not that I have no, like, it's not that I don't know, say, like, so I know that I'm, like, intelligent and well-spoken but like i don't have self-esteem around anything else right like so it's like it's not like i i don't know anything about it's like not like i'm i think i'm the worst dumbest person to ever live but it's more like when it actually comes down to the idea of writing seems daunting because i can't imagine anyone wanting to read what i have to write right um and i mean part of that you could say is like for many people is maybe like a smart idea maybe you know maybe some people shouldn't write but like also we live in a time when anyone can can like put what they have out there and then people can respond to it right Um, so I think ideally for me, life would be some combination of like having some kind of family, having a community, right? Um, uh, and and like and then running uh, a business or two that are like not necessarily take up that much of my time, but allow me to live this life, right? Like successful enough to allow me to like make sure a child's well cared for, make sure that like I have the freedom to move around. Um, and then really, I think part of it would be to like write to like continue to be able to interact with people. I think be able to meet intellectual and like interesting people my whole yeah, life who yeah. have a variety of interests and like teach me something and I teach them something, yeah. but also like to write and put out there something um, related to my life that can, that can benefit others. Yeah. I'm really honest. It seems you're, you're pretty well on your way. I can imagine asking other people, like, what would you want out of your life and hearing something that is very different from the life that you currently have. Uh-huh. But in some ways it seems like you're already, align yourself in, in some ways you're living in a commune or yeah self-sufficient you start your business yeah yeah yeah, yeah so that'll be interesting to see like yeah take small steps and see yeah, how it all yeah. pans out you know yeah. uh, but i think that like the in the same vein you talk about this idea of the bad feelings and the thoughts mm-hmm. i think so many i think the hardest thing for me is this idea that like you keep i think we all a lot of us and me especially you wait for some feeling to descend upon you that says you've made it Mm. right you wait for the day that you wake up and mm. you're and and like you've reached mm. like you're a buddha right mm. like you now have salvation and there are no more bad days yeah, yeah. right yeah. Uh, and i think that that's one of the hardest ideas to shed it's such a movie idea right we see it like you finally met the person of your dreams and everything's great after that right you've arrived. but it's yeah. really like it's a constant negotiation with yeah. the world yeah to, to think positively about things but realize that there's never a resolution like death is that resolution but before that everything else is negotiable Thank you for joining me and Pace today in the Room of Lives. I hope you enjoyed our conversation and hope to see you again. Until then, take care.